Welcome to the Zwift SBS podcast. Zwift is the app that turns indoor training into a game. With structured workouts, training plans and massive online group rides to make your training fun. Because fun is results. Fun is fast. Go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. It's time for the podcast again on SBS and we've got a young retiree as a guest today. It's a young man, Richie Porte. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Not feeling so young, but it's uh, certainly nice to be retired. Uh, you are young uh, and you are a young retiree. You just relocated to, uh, to Tasmania. We'll talk about all this. First of all, how is it to be back in Australia uh, after such a long time in Europe, such a long stint in Europe? Uh, I know by fact that when you lived in Europe, it's, you're never the same again. No, and certainly, I mean, there's there's obviously parts that you're going to miss about Europe, um, and and it is nice to be back um, in Australia and and home. I guess I mean, especially once you have kids, um, you know, you do miss those those things in, in Australia of having family close by, and uh, you know, I think it's all pretty exciting. Um, Australia is quite an easy place to live, and we're enjoying it as a family. For you, I guess it was a it was a no brainer to to live in in Hobart. But how was that decision to to come from the idea of you retiring to the idea to relocate, and of course thinking about your 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 next life? I guess I'm, I'm actually in Launceston, so but uh, oh. <laughs> no, I mean sorry about that. No, no stress, no stress. Um, look, I mean obviously uh, for me, my wife's English, so. You know, there was probably that the option of doing, um, you know, living in the UK as well. But I think, you know, Tasmania is a, a great place to raise children. And, um, you know, for me, it's home. I've had people say that to me, you know, why why did you move back to Tassie? I don't feel like that at all. I think, you know, obviously coming from living in Monaco back to uh, Launceston, it's quite quite a, a different culture here, but it's... Uh, it's a it's a brilliant little town, and you know it's it's got so much going for it, and so only getting better. What's uh, different? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk about your career. Uh, if you are at this point where you can actually reflect about what you what you've been doing, what you've have achieved, uh, I'm just going to bring this this uh, graph here. Uh, this is just the Grand Tour results. Uh, the pinnacle, as we would see as a public, it's that 2020. You and I, with Maka, actually uh, spoke when you were in the bus going to Paris, that parade stage in 2020. We had a great chat because you were going to claim that uh, third spot on the podium, which makes you potentially the second best Australian rider of all time, at least at the at, at at Tour de France. How do you reflect on all these achievements? Yeah, it's it is, you know, I think that's probably one of the nicest things about being retired and you know, those races that were like you know, the the, the Paris Nice or um Catalonia there on, on television just recently and, and you know, not that I watch them but you know, when when you, you read the reports because that's about my extent of, of following cycling has been um in the last couple couple of months. Um, you know, it was it was one of those things you took for granted at the time, you know, you'd, if you won Paris-Nice, then, you know, you'd roll on to, to Catalonia, then you'd roll on to Romandie. You never really got the, the time to, to sit back and appreciate it. But um, as you say, you know, 
I think for me, like to, to have finally gotten that podium place in, in the tour, um, you, you know, that's that was that was your lifetime goal, really, is to to go over and achieve something like that. So it is nice to um, to, to to be back here and and you know from afar, kind of you know sort of soak it up a little bit, which I wasn't really able to do in the last sort of fifteen years. So so in a way, and I've been just the the, the devil's advocate here, but uh, that first place on the podium was it the time where you started to think, okay. I've achieved what I wanted and maybe retirement is, you knew retirement was looming, but it was back of your mind. And probably as an athlete, it was hard to see yourself going anything bigger than this because you knew the commitment you had to give to get to that first place. Is that when retirement started to go from the back of your head to a bit of the front of your head? I think I, think I always had that. Um, once my son was born in 2018, um, we always knew that um, you know, as soon as my son started, uh, or was a school age to, to start school in Australia, that was always our plan was to um, to come back. But during the COVID lockdown, we had a pretty um, hard lockdown there in in, in um, Europe. That was when I kind of made that decision that at, at that time when I was with Trek in 2020, I was I was ready to retire. That was um, that was it. You know, I just won the tour down under and things were going well and then COVID hit and um, you know I just remembered that you know that was that was it I was ready to stop and um, thankfully um, once once everything got going again um, you know I kept going because you know I went on to, to get my my podium okay of course I would have finished my contract out with Trek but then I got to go back to Team Ineos to finish my career and the other race that meant a lot to me was the the Criterium de Dauphiné and that was you know, probably one of the best wins I had of my career, and that was in 2021. So to win that at 36, that was kind of the moment that I, I realised that I'd achieved, you know, what I'd set out to do, I suppose. Yeah, if we, if we just bring back the, the graph here for people that are watching us, uh, if we look at the, the Crétin du Dauphiné, uh, you won this in 2021. But of course, Paris-Nice as well was one of your big things and a tour of Romandie as well, some of your big wins. Uh, but you, you mentioned Crétin du Dauphiné. That was one that was, was it, was it more important than other, if we can, if we can say this? Um, probably for me personally, I'd have to say Paris-Nice was, of all those stage races, probably the most important because... When you're a bike rider, and especially a, a smaller guy like me, it's not an easy race to win because, of course, the, the, the climbs are at the end of the race, but you have to get through those crosswind um, stages. And it's, it's a, I think amongst the bike riders, it's probably, you know, probably one of those races that holds the, the highest esteem just because it is just such a hard, tough race. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic one to, to have up on the Palmares. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing as well I'd love to talk to you about is, now I can ask the question, about those infamous stage nines uh, at the Tour de France, <laughs> where for, for a couple of times you had the do not finish. I mean, I remember, and I'm not going to lie, me and, uh, and, and my executive producer, Kath Whelan, we were crying, crying. And with Maka, we you know, were running around to find the doctors. And to, uh, this sort of, in terms of the journalistically for us, we made something around the stage nine. But did you see as an athlete, as an athlete, was it a bit of a curse? Did you, did you still, like, was it playing a bit on your mind, or we just, you know, we're play, we're, we're just, you know, a bit be, being a bit silly. That stage nine. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a funny one because obviously I had that pretty big crash there in 2017, 
um, into into the the side of the mountain basically. Twenty um eighteen, I, I then had it happen to me uh, on the on the cobbles stage. We hadn't even hit the cobbles, and um, there was a, a mass crash, and I, I broke my collarbone. But then I had to go and do the welter, and I also crashed in stage nine as well. I, I got through it with a, a fair bit of skin off, but then it mm-hmm. did sort of play on my mind a little bit, you know, like maybe there was something in it, but uh, it was nice in, in 2019 to, to get to stage 10. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to lie that actually, you know what, we cracked open the champagne that day because you went through it and, and no joke, we did actually in the truck with SBS going, at least he's gone through <laughs> stage nine. <laughs> Uh, but you had a few benefits, though. This one was uh, one of them. You remember that time? You you you, you loved that top run. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was a uh, a gift from uh, Simon and, and Rana Gerens, which uh, you know, arrived at home. But it was a funny one because I just kept getting Toblerone sent to you know my manager <laughs> sent it. Our, our real estate agent in Monaco gave me I had boxes of, of Toblerone um, coming out of my What's ears. That? Do you love? Do you actually love Toblerone? <laughs> I used to, but I think that kind of did it for me. I, I'd never actually buy a Toblerone <laughs> anymore. But uh, at, at some point in my, my time, it was my favourite chocolate bar. And, yeah, but that certainly uh, itched that scratch after that. I, I, you know, I don't really eat them. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your memories. What, what is for you, your, if it's easy or not easy to, to best memory on a bike? Is it, you know, uh, somewhere in the Tour de France, somewhere in Alpine-Nice, as you said, a win? It, it might not even just be a win, but what would be for you if you reflect back as a, as a you know, your best life on a bike? Yeah, probably you'd have to say the Tour because, you know, that was a race that I grew up watching. You know, I grew up watching the Stuart O'Grady's, the, the Bradley McGee's, the um, Robbie McEwen, um, these guys, and, and Cadell. Um, when I was actually in Europe as well, um, you, you watch those guys um, growing up, and you know, and also like Lance Armstrong, uh, you know, watching him win those tours in uh, in the early years is really what got you know a lot of people's attention. Um, so, so to have finally gotten the podium there was a, an amazing feeling. You know, so I think for me when I, I crossed the line. Uh, in Paris, and and then you know went to the to the um, ceremony tent and, and getting changed, and I had the the same Swanya um, followed me from BMC to Trek, um, and then eventually with Ineos, and and it was quite you know an emotional moment, and and it was you know I, I missed the the birth of my daughter to to get onto that podium in in 2020, so it was quite a monumental you know decision to to be there, so. I think just things like that, you know, just that backstage memory of, you know, I finally got onto that podium was, uh, I think that's probably the, the sweetest moment for me as a professional cyclist. Yeah, okay. There's one thing I'd love to talk to you about. Uh, I'm just going to bring this here and I'll probably get a reaction from you, but that moment, you know, on on Ventoux, when this happened, when <laughs> you uh, collide into the camera and after that, the follow-on effect of this iconic image of having Chris Froome, uh, your your ex-teammate, actually, uh, riding, uh, like, ri- running up the mountain. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, at that exact moment when we see you just <laughs> riding past him, what went through your yeah. mind? Did you go, what the hell is happening? 
Yeah, that, I mean, that stage was just absolute um, carnage. It was, it was the Bastille day, you know, and, and so the, the crowds were huge. And obviously, we couldn't go to the top of Fonzu that day because the, the wind was so crazy. So it was a crazy stage just getting into the bottom of the climb. But then the, the next thing when, when we had that crash, you know, I, went, I was the first one into that motorbike so it just stopped dead in front of us. And But then it was just... You know, it went from one moment of us all in, in my head. We, I was thinking, you know, I'm taking time on on my other rivals here because we, Valka, uh, Molama, and Chris Room and I, we were away. And then the motorbikes just stopped dead in front of us, obviously because the crowds were were so big, and and the motorbike couldn't get through. So it wasn't exactly their fault, but it, it just it, that sort of summed up my my relationship with the tour. It's like one minute everything's going swimmingly, and the next thing you you're on the ground and then you know I had to get up and and fix my bike you know there was no no service there or anything it was an absolute mess and then you know as I rode past Froomey he said to me this isn't right I remember that but then the <laughs> the lead car so the the um lead commissaire car um slammed its brakes on in front of me and obviously I had buckled wheels and we didn't have disc brake bikes at that time and I'd had no brakes, so I almost crashed into the back of the commissaire car. So it was just absolute, you know, it, it was one of those days, probably the craziest day I ever had on a bike, to be honest. Just, it was just unbelievable. You know, so many things added up to just make it a, a very memorable stage. Do, do you do you sometimes think about those crazy days and those stuff that is happening around the race? And because you, when you're in the moment, you're in the moment. You you mentioned you probably were trying to think about the time you could gain or what you were losing on this actually uh, event and so on. But do you now allow yourself to think back and go, this was nuts? Yeah, I think I think now, like, I've been doing quite a bit of swimming and that's kind of where I do think back to, you know, what else do you have to do when you, you swim is, is, you know, you, you just think about it. And I had so many fantastic memories of, of cycling. But, yeah, I think I think I got to the point with, with it though that I was ready to to step away on my own terms just because um you know I think when, when you get a bit older and you have kids and your priorities change it is you know it's just I think it's becoming more and more of a young man's game you know it's 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 getting faster and more dangerous you know just things like there's more road furniture on the roads in Europe and and things like that so there's more obstacles obviously the teams are getting a lot more professional. I mean, all the teams have, have picked up their game, and and you know, once you have family and priorities change, it's uh, you know, I found it harder and harder every year to to take those risks, and um, you know, and 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 like you say, crazy things like some of the crosswinds or some of the weather. That's that's one thing I, I don't miss with these early season um, races is is those inclement weather. You know that they get in Europe. It's uh, you know, it's a tough sport. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So now I'm going to raise a question that this man here that is not with us uh, at the minute is, is in holiday in Vietnam. Maka is going to give this. I've got to bring this face here uh, in the corner because you know what I'm going to ask. Yeah? This Polkadot jersey. I've got to talk about the Polkadot jersey. Uh <laughs> What is it with Australians and not willing to go for it? Uh, I reckon it's, a, it's an amazing jersey to go for, but you yeah. as a rider, what, 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 like, there's never been an Australian that's been king of the mountain in Paris. 
I won't, I'm not going to say why is that, but you as an ex-rider, freshly retired, uh, do you think it's something maybe you could have gone for? Maybe a, a word of advice for the younger riders. Someone, please go and get this first king of the mountain yeah. for, if not for Australia, for Christoph to shut up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I got to wear that actually um, in 2015. Froomey had the jersey, but I was second on the on the first bounce stage, so um, second to Froomey. So he had the yellow jersey, and I got to wear the, the polka dot jersey for a couple of days, um, just you know, keeping it warm. But it is a cool jersey. But I think when you rode with teams like I was with, you know, like Team Sky, um, or if you were going for the GC, it it wasn't really a jersey you could target now because it's so it's weighted towards breakaways yeah and that's but but definitely there's you know some of some of these guys um some of these young australian guys that can do everything um i mean yeah i think that those, those guys who you know have a bit of a turn of speed which i didn't I'm not very fast at all um they could probably go for for that you know being the breakaway in the the first mountain stages and mop up points but um you know, it, it is a it is a cool jersey, and it would have been you know a nice one. Probably after the the yellow jersey, that's probably the one with the most uh, respect from the other riders. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this and use this, you know, because I <laughs> with you, <laughs> it's the second best jersey. But it's such a French thing, though. It's sort of uh, it's sort of being squatted by French riders because he has a yeah. lot more weight, I think, in France than he has here. Uh, in Australia, so I'm, 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 I made it a life work to change yeah. this, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like the the big supermarket brand that sponsors the the Tour de France. Um, around around the time of the tour, they you know the, the shopping bags you get from from their shop are yeah. you know polka dot shopping bags. You know, it's it, it is a big <laughs> uh, a big thing in France. Uh, what was your experience with the public in France? Uh, and mainly in France, we talk about Grand Tours because you, you've done a lot more Tour de France than you did of Giro's or of Vuelta altogether. But uh, what was your, your experience when you go back to thinking how crazy the crowds were, how, you know, how crazy this whole environment was? Do you sort of miss a bit this adrenaline? Or not? Yeah, to be honest, like I, I think even when I was with Team Sky, which is an, an English team and, you know, obviously the... French-English um, rivalry is a, a pretty good one, I guess. It's a bit like the Aussie-Kiwi kind of rivalry, yeah. isn't it? But I think that most of the French always, they were always pretty good to me. You know, maybe it's because I have a French surname. But, you know, it, even um, in, in, in the years where I did race in Italy, I remember I was in Torino last year with the, the Giro and, you know, the Italian crowds are very parochial. They like their own riders. But... I remember one guy cheering for me on, on one of the climbs and, and it was a French guy, you know, like you, you can't mistake that French accent. Um, you know, I, I must say I really enjoyed, you know, racing in France. I, I'd have always said um, I did my amateur days in Italy, but uh, in, in the end of my career, I, I just, I liked racing in France. You know, the I think ASO um, did a great job in, in organisation with their races, obviously the ones that do the, the tour and the, the Paris-Nice and the, and the Dauphiné, I, I always really enjoyed their races because you know, they are so well organised. Probably second only to uh, the Tour Down Under organisation, to be honest. <laughs> uh, what, what's your look uh, out of the new generation? We mentioned uh, just the, the young ones, the young Aussies that can do everything. So in that, you're talking, uh, you know, yeah. 
Jack Haig and uh, Jai Hindley and, and, and so on, but uh, yeah. Jay Vine and so on. But what's, what's your look at that generation? What can be achieved? What can you see uh, with your experience? Yeah, look, I, I think it's not too long until there's, you know, another Cadell Evans to, to come out and, and, and win the Grants or, um, you know, or, well, Jai's already done that, hasn't he? But to, to win the Tour de France, I think, um, you know, this next generation. But then even, you know, you, you're watching races and there's guys like Caden Groves um, winning two stages of, of Catalonia and that's exciting, you know. There's, there's some yeah. really great talent coming through, you know, like Luke Plath has got a huge engine and, um, you know, he's got a good head too and I think he'll he'll kick on to, to big things. So, it's, you know, there's just so much talent, you know. Jay Vine, who knows how good that guy is, you know. He's, he's obviously coming to it a bit later but, you know, pound for pound on a climb, there's not that many guys that can, can, can beat him, you know. He's, he's, he's a huge talent and anybody that can get a contract out of Zwift because I, <laughs> I'm terrible <laughs> on that but, you know that, that that's a tough way to get a contract. I'm trying to get uh, to get them motivated for this. You know? I'm trying to, the the vines, uh, <laughs> both of them to get motivated for this. Uh, what's you look yeah. at the wider generation, though uh, the 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 Pogacar, the Van Aert, uh, the Van der Poel. You know, as a rider, are you is that where you happy you retired because these guys are breaking every yeah. rule and and making yeah. cycling old school even harder. Yeah, look, I mean, Remco, you know, these guys, you know, some of the attacks that, that Remco can, can make stick. I mean, I remember racing him in um, Tour of Germany in 2019, and we, we all knew that this kid had, you know, so much talent. But when he attacked, there was, you know, three or four full full teams behind um, chopping off madly to, to bring him back, and he, and he made the move stick for 80Ks. I mean, ultimately... They brought him back, but just you know, just to have um, you know balls that big is, is is something amazing. And you know, he won the worlds obviously last year in Australia. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a totally different way of racing now. They'll you know tear the script up. I guess the days that I was riding with Team Sky and they said that the racing was was boring, and um, you know, I guess our team controlled that racing. But now, you know, you've seen Pogacar win. Tour de France is without really having a team. I mean, ultimately last year, I think he was still the best rider, and I think he is still the best rider and, and of this generation. But I think now that he's got a team around him, he's, he's going to be unbeatable. And I think that's exciting too. He's, he's a really, really good down-to-earth kid. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to see um, that generation coming through and, and ripping up. But it's all, also good to see... The older generation, like Garrett Thomas or Primoz Roglic, still throwing it. You know, keeping the, the younger guys honest as well. How cool is Garrett Thomas in in the real life? You know, we've got we've got an image, mic drop, but like cooler than cool. But how cool is he in real life? I think that's the thing with G is um, he, he's he's so down to earth and, and very you know he's, he's very normal. I guess he's. He's, he's Welsh and, and the Welsh are kind of renowned for that. You know, he's he's not changed. Um, no matter what success game his way, he's always, you know, the, the same the same guy that he was. You know, he's, I guess for me, um, I consider him a, a mate, but, you know, he's that guy that will send you a text message out of the, the blue saying, how are you, mate? You know, just 
just like that. And I think like since I've retired, just to, you know, you, you can count on the on the on one hand the the guys that do you know like the Simon Gerrinses or um, you know those guys that reach out just to see how you are you know and, and he's he's one of those guys. Yeah, I'm going to ask you that question actually. How are you now? You've retired now. You've tasted a, a different life. Uh, how are you? I don't think from what I'm getting from this interview, you're missing it this much. You're happy with uh, yeah. with with your decision. But what's the life of Richie Port these days? Oh, probably my wife would agree that I spend way too much time swimming. Um, that's become my new thing. I become quite addicted to. I absolutely, I absolutely love it. You know, it's the sun's been shining. We have really good pools here in Launceston, so that's kind of become my thing. But you know, it's it's like when I took my son to school the other day. The the lollipop man, so the guy on the on the school crossing, said to me, he goes, you know a bit less stress than uh, or pressure than, than riding the Tour de France. And it is, but, you know, then you have other stresses, don't you know, like getting the, the kids to school on time or, you know, even even things like, um, you know, helping my wife to, you know, pack lunches and things like that. Yeah, do the lunchbox. Lunchbox is one thing, yeah. You never knew how yeah, complex the lunchbox was. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, just... Just everyday things like that, you know, and, and I suppose like I rode for fantastic teams where they did a lot of stuff behind the scenes for you. And now, you know, now when I have to, um, you know, bike maintenance and things like that, it's, uh, you know, I, I have a bike that's had a puncture for about a month. And instead, I just take one of my old Pinarellos out because I can't be bothered changing that puncture. You know, it's just, yeah, you know, we, we were spoiled, but, um, you know, I, I don't really miss there's, I don't think there's much to miss about professional cycling, but at the same time, it was, it was a fantastic career and it gave me, you know, so much. And um, you know, I, I, I loved every second of it, but I'm happily retired. <laughs> Hopefully, you keep uh, going on giving you even more, you know, as as the years goes by. Do you still watch cycling? I understand you you watch maybe not so much, but would you then watch the Tour de France? Is it like? This race is so different that you will tune in for the Tour de France, nevertheless. Yeah, I think you know, like also you know the the Giro d'Italia, um, some of those those huge stages that they have, you know, in in the in the mountains. Um, I think that's that's one of those things that I'd definitely be up for, and and it, it is it is that's one of those things that I've realised now that I've moved back here. Um, you know, just how committed the Australian fans are because. You know, I can only probably do one or two late nights now because it, it just ruins me. But, I mean, people literally were up, you know, every stage of the tour watching it. And I think that's pretty amazing now. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to July and, and sitting there and, and watching those iconic stages, um, especially next year uh, when it finishes in Nice, which was, you know, basic, basically my hometown when I was living in Monaco there. Um, you know, I, was, I spent a lot of time on those roads. So if I'm not there watching the race, I can't wait to, to watch that on television. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, because there's the, there's the, there is the Tour de France 2023. But the talk of the town is really around the 2024 already. Mm -hmm. uh, starts in Florence, first time ever with a big grand départ uh, in Italy and a finish in Nice. So first time that ever the finish is actually not in Paris. So do you think this is we definitely will be a Tour de France maybe you would have liked to do, even uh, though, you know, you're retired? 
I think that was the, the, the one time I've really, you know, I had a text message from um, a good friend of mine, Nicholas Roche, and uh, he said, you have to come back for this because the second last stage goes up Calder Browse and Calder Castillon, which were two of my favourite uh, climbs, you know, anywhere, and then finishes on Calder Coyol, which I won the stage there in Paris-Nice. And then the, the next day is a time trial, which goes up colder airs. So, you know, those are, those are like my, my home roads. So I'd have loved to have, have uh, finished up there. But then I also think of uh, the tour, the Grand Depart there in, in uh, 2020 in Nice, where it hadn't rained all summer, so basically for two months. And then uh, we started the tour there and it was a torrential downpour. And, you know, remember that with the publicity caravan, um, the... the the soap Absolutely. sponsor, you know, yeah, it's so, so just carnage. So, I did get to enjoy, oh, enjoy. I did get to experience, uh, you know, some of those roads around Nice uh, as a professional. But that's pretty. That's a pretty special way to to finish the tour next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all we have time for. Uh, Richie, but it's been a, a real pleasure uh, talking mm -hmm. to you. I hope we can keep in touch. You're always welcome uh, anywhere near an SBS microphone and an SBS camera. Uh, and thank you again from the bottom of my heart and everybody else's heart uh, here and around at SBS about what you gave us over the years. Uh, and I just wish you uh, them to see you around and see you around cycling even more. Thank you. And yeah, like I say, thanks a lot for... Uh all the support over the years it was uh you know fantastic and um, you know i love that being back here now and just bumping into people on the street who you know who who have those stories of, of watching the tour and it was a, a great chapter in my life before we go a quick shout out to zwift the app that turns indoor training into a game Getting started on Zwift is easy. You just need your bike, a trainer and your PC, Mac or Apple device. Zwift offers training plans, interval workouts and a global community. Get strong and get motivated with every ride. Give people a ride on and you're sure to get one back as together you enjoy the massive benefits of social indoor training. Go to Zwift.com today and start your free trial.